came across this really interesting stat the other day. From March of 2014 till September of 2016, 127 people worldwide died taking a selfie. Isn't that interesting? Like, the researchers have actually coined a term for it. They call it a kill fee, which is weird, right? Uh, I actually read an article, and it was like New York Daily News or something like that, and they said that in the year 2015, more people died from selfies than from shark attacks. That's also interesting to me. Why doesn't Discovery Channel do selfie week instead of shark week? Like, that would be fascinating, right? We could, oh, then they, then they perched themselves on this ledge and tried to take this picture from this angle, and that was the last we ever saw of them, or whatever, you know? Like, it's pretty weird what's going on, but it's, it's, definite, proof, it's definite proof that we have in our society that our smartphones are actually killing us. Like, now we know. And this is a really new phenomenon. In fact, smartphones are 10 years old this year. The iPhone came out in 2007. And it wasn't until 2012 that more than half the population had one. So really within the last five years, we're just seeing what, we're, we're sort of living in this experiment of what is it like to have all the information of the internet and all of these apps and all this stuff in your pocket or in your purse or, or near at hand at all hours of the day and sometimes of the night. And we're trying to experiment with this as a culture and seeing like what is this going to do to us. Uh, an article came out in The Atlantic in, 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 back in August, and the article was entitled, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation? And if you're a parent and you read that, it terrified you. But there was very interesting stuff. I'll post it later so that you can read it if you want. But there's some very interesting stuff. They had all these stats, and they show how in around 2012 you see a, a marked uptick or downturn on some things. Like, for example, teenagers today are uh, dating less. They are getting pregnant less. They are uh, getting a driver's license later on. Um, there's just some things like that. They're hanging out with their friends a lot less uh, because they're connected digitally through phones and other devices. And so while there are some downward trends in some of those things, there's also an upward trend that depression is higher among teenagers, loneliness is higher, um, so that, that whole fear of missing out, social media, all of that sort of thing. Teenagers are getting less sleep because they're using their phones a lot. And I don't think this is just a teenage problem. I think this is an all of us problem. Like, I think there's something going on here culturally, and we need to pay attention to it. They did an unplugged study. It was called the Unplugged Study. It was a, in 2010. They challenged 1,000 college students from 19 different universities, and they said, go without screens for 24 hours. 24 hours, no screens. It's super interesting what they found out. The vast majority of the students couldn't do it. Like after about three hours, they're like, I'm done. I need to read, look at something, plug in in some way. And so they couldn't do it. Those who push through the discomfort of not having a screen for a couple hours, it sounds funny saying that out loud, but there it is. Those who push through the discomfort of that um, actually discovered at the end of the 24-hour period that they were like less agitated. They had more sense of calm a greater sense of mindfulness, and that they had had over that 24-hour period some deeper conversations with friends. And I look at that and I think, man, there's something there. Like, there's definitely something going on. And in our, in our rush to be plugged in and digitally connected at all times, maybe we're really missing something. So we're going to talk today about how technology um, affects our lives. And this is an important conversation because even secular sources are saying it's not just like uh, religious conservatives or something, but like even sort of your mainstream secular sources are saying, hey, maybe all this technology is actually not all good for us and it isn't all great. Now, I own Apple products. 
Um, our family, we have an Xbox. Our kids play. I play. Uh, we, we do some of that together. So I'm not going to be like, no, down with technology. I'm not going to get up here like, you know, when I was your age, we just played with a stick. Uh, and you should just play with a stick and like it, you know, and you'll get very creative or whatever. Like, I, I get it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That would be easy and fun, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but we need to talk about the role of technology in our lives because it affects, it, it really is a shaping influence in our lives and it affects our faith in a lot of ways as well. We have always had technology to make our lives better. Like, ever since someone created, like, a fork. We've had some kind of technology like designed to help us do things. Um, but I, I was able to see, and I will post this later as well, Andy Crouch, who's the editor of Christianity Today, I heard him speak at the Q Conference in Nashville back in April. And his 18-minute talk profoundly affected me. And he starts out his talk and he says, we have always had uh, tools, but now we have devices. Tools were designed to make it easier for you to do some things, to get, you know, to get the food, you get a pan, you know, or to, to, to cut something up, you, make, you forge a, a knife or whatever. We've always had tools, and tools require active engagement, skill. You have to work to learn how to use the thing. But now we have devices that don't require active engagement, and devices try to make everything easy for you or make ease happen for you in, 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 all, uh, in all places. And there's been this shift from tools to devices, and, and there's something going on there that we need to pay attention to. Now, already you're going to push back with me, right? You want to argue already, and you say, Chris, if this, if this sermon ends with you saying I have to get rid of my smartphone, well, you can just take my smartphone from me when you pry it from my cold, dead hands. I mean, we have, we have almost like a, a, a Second Amendment connection to our smartphones of just like, no way can you take away my smartphone. I'm not going to tell you to get rid of your smartphone at the end of the sermon. just want you to know. Um, but I understand the pushback. I enjoy having a smartphone. In fact, my enjoyment of it is what drove me into this conversation and what drove me to really start thinking about what is healthy here and what is unhealthy here. Um, the resistance in us to this idea of like drawing some boundaries or limits is really strong because we think, and you will probably say this or you'll want to argue this in your head, you'll say, you know what, technology is fine. It's morally neutral. But it isn't. Technology is not neutral in the way your car, when it's in neutral, goes nowhere. Technology wants to go somewhere, always. It's trying to drive towards something. And what technology is trying to drive us to is to a life where everything is easy in all look, like we have easy everywhere we go. Like you don't have to struggle for anything. Think about the Keurig. Everybody had coffee from a Keurig? It's great, right? Maybe you have one. Um, but here's the thing. Coffee is like in beans, and it, it's, it's a process. There's a cherry around it, and then the beans, and then there's a whole process of how they get that. And to get it to you in a bag at the grocery store is already like a miracle that, that it shows up there. Um, and then if you grind it at home, there's a smell that goes with it. And if you get the proportion right, and you get the temperature right, and, you, and, you, and the exposure of the water to the, to the beans ground up to the, for the right amount of time, you get a great cup of coffee with like the oils in it that you work for, and it's like a satisfying thing. If you have a Keurig, they take all of that out for you, push one button, and out it comes, and that's it, and you're done, and you go on with your day. Now, what are you going to do with all the time you saved by using the Keurig instead of, like, grinding the beans yourself? You're going to scroll your Twitter feed, and was that really worth it? Why don't just, why don't maybe just, like, make the thing, like, actually grind the beans and, like, enjoy the, the whole experience? And that, that's what I mean is there's a shift from, uh, that there's a shift here from tools to devices, 
And so I want to talk about how we have an addiction to our technology. We've talked about um, enslavement in this series, about our freedom and how when we, are, uh, when we have what we want whenever we want, that can lead to new forms of, of enslavement. Now, are you addicted? So let's talk about addiction. Are you addicted to your phone? And you're going to say, no, I'm not addicted to my phone. Well, let's try some thought experiments here. What if I said, let's go spend a week in a cabin with no cell coverage and no Wi-Fi? Are you sweating already? You're like, what would I do there? Just stare into the abyss of, I don't know, are we going to play checkers? Or like, what are we going to do with no Wi-Fi? Right? Okay, so that, that's a thought. Uh, people sleep with their phones. Maybe you do. People sleep with their phones. That is a very common thing. In fact, when they've studied these things, people treat their phones like people treat drugs. Like the addiction symptoms of drug addicts you see in people with their phones. People sleep with their phones next to their bed or in their bed. If not in their bed, right next to their bed. And you would say, hey, I'm not addicted to my phone, but here's the question. Is the phone the last thing you look at before you go to sleep and the first thing you look at when you wake up in the morning? Like you get up and you're like, well, let's find out what happened. Let me scroll and certain emails or a right? That's the behavior of an addict. Let me change, let me change it. Let's just say not phone. Let's just say instead of phone in that analogy, let's just say Jack Daniels. Like if you said, uh, hey, before I go to bed, I sleep with a bottle, or when I go to bed, I sleep with a bottle of Jack Daniels. Or that Jack Daniels is the last thing I drink before I go to sleep, and it's the first thing I drink when I wake up in the morning. I would say, you have a problem. <laughs> like, you need to think about this. There's like an addiction here. There's a chemical dependency that's developed. And we have something very similar going on with our phones. My friend here uh, at church, he said his kids have started calling, got on his case when he's on his phone too much, and they started referring to him as Phonesy. Like that's their nickname for their dad. And I heard that, and I thought, man, I'm glad my kids don't call me Phonesy. You know, sort of like all self-righteous. Like, yeah, well, I mean, my kids wouldn't do that. But then I just thought, they just haven't thought of it yet. They'll probably, I mean, my kids could totally, like, they could also make that comment about me. Um, and so I want to look at this issue. And to get an ancient answer to a smartphone is a tricky thing because the Bible was not written about smartphones, right? But, but I think there are some ancient principles uh, of what it means to be a follower of Christ and live out your faith that do apply to how we evaluate technology. Um, I want to I look at something Jesus said. Jesus lived a very busy life. When he was in his ministry, he did a lot of things, and he, he, he ministered primarily in some villages and towns around the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, so rural communities, and he was up there teaching people about God, and he was healing people, and he was walking on water, and he was just doing all this crazy stuff. And because what he was doing was loved and popular, I mean, he turned water into wine, people loved that. Because what he did was loved, it was popular and successful in a sense, um, the crowds flocked to Jesus. People wanted to be with him and near him and crowd around him at all times. It was pretty intense. In fact, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 5, the, the author, uh, Luke, who wrote this, he uh, interviewed some eyewitnesses and kind of wrote all this account down. And Luke tells us about... Uh, a, a, a situation that Jesus runs into with a guy who had leprosy. And I want you to hear this, what happens. Luke 5, verse 12, we'll put up on the screen, which is a great piece of technology that aids in this talk. Um, now, verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. 
But now, even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Jesus was living on mission. He's doing his thing. He's helping people. He's helping the most marginalized people in society. Leprosy is a horrible thing, and and it's so isolating. Your only friends that you can have in the first century, if you have leprosy, your only friends are other lepers, right? And so there's there's this social outcastness to the whole thing. And Jesus is helping people, and because he's helping people, because he's loving people, because he's serving, uh, great crowds want to roll up on him, and and people want to be near him, and and it makes total sense. And look at the very next verse. It says this, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. He would withdraw intentionally from the crowds to pray. It's not because he was an introvert and he needs to recharge. I don't think you could make really the introvert-extrovert argument about Jesus. He just knew that to serve others, to, to be a human being in this world, you've got to unplug. Jesus intentionally withdrew to get in a, into a relationship with his heavenly Father. And a lot of preachers will tell you, with this text, they'll say, hey, look, uh, this is why you need to have a quiet time. This is why you need to mark out something in your day where you say, I'm turning it all off. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to read. And prayer's a struggle. I know it can be hard. Reading, man, I don't, know, I don't know if I understand the Psalms when I read them or whatever. But just intentionally withdraw, get away, and go to what, what is described here as a, as a desolate place. Go to that place where there's not all those other distractions and read and pray. If Jesus, who's got this like direct line connection to his heavenly father, if he needed to do that, how much more do we need to do that? We need to get quiet to get alone with just us and God. There is a great danger in our souls when we believe that we are human doings instead of human beings. We, we achieve, we, make, we have success, we do, we perform, and your boss will love it if you perform. Your spouse will love it if you perform. A, a, a lot of friends will love it if you perform. Your sports team will love it if you perform. We are valued for our performance, but that's not who we are. We can't build our identities on that. We have to strategically, intentionally get away from that and say, who am I actually? What is my identity really built on, and, and, and Jesus got away with his, to spend time with his heavenly Father who loves him and knows him, and we need to do the same before we go back into our culture, because when you walk into our culture, the culture is just going to try to value you for what you do and how, how successful you are. So what does any of that have to do with technology? Well, technology demands time from you, and it wants to form and shape you a certain way. You know how in a church there's like a liturgy, like a pattern to the, to the service to we say these prayers, we sing these songs, you know, the teaching, whatever. That's liturgy. The, the design of that is to shape and form us. Well, technology also is a, is a form of liturgy and it tries to shape and form you to become something. And it really, a lot of our technology is designed to make us more consumers, to use the product more and more, to become cogs in that machine. And eventually, if we're not careful, that can really rot our souls. The ancient world had, uh, in, in Greek, there's a word that we get our word technology, and it's the word techne. Techne is related to, to the idea of craftsmanship. And techne uh, is the knowledge that helps you do things. So if I want to know how to do something, techne is the kind of knowledge that you need to do the thing. But there was another word in the ancient world that was also important in Greek, and it was episteme. 
Episteme, if techne is the knowledge that helps you do things, episteme is the knowledge of how things are so that you know what you should be doing. So if techne is like, how do I do the thing? Episteme is, what's worth doing and why would I do it? And what, you know, what, how am I going to approach this thing? Why and why? Um, and that's really important. In fact, in the ancient world, they valued episteme over techne. They valued the contemplation of the thing over the action. Now, I'm not so naive to think that we can just have contemplation all the time. You, none of us have the freedom to just go sit under a tree for 70 years and think deep thoughts about our lives. You have to have action, but you have to have contemplation. And the techne, the techne screams do, just keep acting, keep doing the thing, get a little better at whatever the thing is. And if we don't unplug from that and start looking at the episteme, if we don't look at the contemplation, if we don't start thinking, why am I doing this to begin with and what is the value here, something is going to come like unhinged inside of us. We are going to um, miss out of what it means to be, uh, uh, what it means to be human. Uh, the danger of technology is that it it stops us from thinking deeply about who we are and where we're going. And I think if we're honest, one of the reasons we like technology is that it does exactly that. It gets us to not think. Like, how many times do you watch Netflix late at night and the reason you do and what you'll say is, I just want to veg out, right? I just want to unplug. I'm going to watch Netflix. And I get that. I've had those days too. But it's not like I dig ditches for a living where it's like back-breaking hard work where I'm like, oh, I just need to, you know, like maybe our desire to veg out is a little overstated. Um, or maybe an alternate theory, I, I thought about this, maybe we're so digitally connected that we actually need to veg out from being so connected by getting into more digital connection, strangely enough. Like for example, maybe there are moments in the day designed for you to veg out, like to just take a break. Maybe there are little pauses in your day, like when you're standing in line to buy coffee. But instead, we take those natural pauses and we get into a phone. Oh, I'm standing in line. I better look at my phone and look at the thing and like the thing and look at the scroll and then answer the email, even in those places that might have the natural pauses in them. Instead, of, instead you could stand in the line and coffee and like, I don't know, look at the pastries or talk to people around you or talk about the weather or whatever you need to do. Like, um, so there, there, there's, something, there's something going on there that we need to, to pay, pay attention to. Um, I think the reason we struggle getting quiet like Jesus did, he intentionally goes to these desolate places to pray, I think we struggle with it because the thought of getting quiet is intimidating to us. We don't not get quiet because we're too busy. Rather, we're terrified of the desolate places and what we might find there if we, if we got quiet and looked inside ourselves. So Jesus gives some advice on how to disengage. Matthew 6, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, listen to what he says about prayer. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and at the street corner that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I love that. Jesus says uh, in the day, like, hey, unplug from the, the noise. Just go into, just like go into a closet. Go somewhere quiet in your room and just get it between you and God. 
Eugene Peterson wrote a, a, a translation in the New Testament, sort of a, a poetic translation. It's called The Message. And listen to the way he, he translates those same verses. Here, as if Jesus was saying, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. This is why we pray. To to be reminded of who we are. To connect with God and speak simply and honestly. Not to put on a show, not to impress people, not to do it in a public way, but just to unplug, get quiet, and remember who made us and just connect into him again. And as we do that, the shift there's a shift that can happen where it's not always about us anymore. And, it can, and, and we can begin to sense God's grace even as we, as we pray. And when I read that and I think about what Jesus is telling us to do, how he's telling us to disengage, there's a part of me that's like, yeah, I, I want this. Like I want to get quiet and not just be go, go, go. I want to strategically, intentionally unplug. Um, because... Otherwise, I'll start believing that my success is really who I am. How good I was or wasn't good, that's all I am. Uh, we have to strategically disengage. And I actually think that would be Jesus' answer or, 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 or what his teaching would be about technology. If he was here today, he would, he would teach us to strategically withdraw from it. So how do we do that? How do we, um, for the sake of our own souls, for, for the sake of being human beings and not human doings, how do we, how do we strategically withdraw from technology? Let me make this disclaimer right now. Everything I'm going to say from here on is my opinion, okay? This is not like a thus saith the Lord. You, you may handle some of these things differently. I am one guy on the journey trying to figure this out in the changing world, and I've been reading and praying and looking at this stuff and, and trying to get as much as I can to give you some ideas. These are some ideas, in my opinion, you can do, you know, you might want to handle them differently, but I want us to all think about it, Okay? So here's, here's a couple ideas of how we can handle technology better. Number one, did take on the practice of digital fasting. Fasting is, in the New Testament, or you'd see in, in, in his history, you'd see fasting is giving up food for the sake of, um, for, to, to have the time where you would have eaten to, to pray, or instead of eating, you remember that God is the one who sustains you. And so there is a, a very ancient practice of fasting. I will talk a lot more about that two weeks from today. We'll talk about fasting the Sunday after Thanksgiving. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that, um, and, and we'll get into that more. But the idea of giving up something so that something else can thrive, right? Um, and so digital fasting, what would that look like? Well, here's some ideas. What if you put away your screens before you go to bed? Like what if the bedtime for your devices and screens is like an hour before your bedtime? So that the last hour, you don't have blue light shining into your face and, and, you're, and you're like reading or something or talking or whatever. Uh, what if you don't look at your phone for the first hour when you wake up in the morning? What if, what if you try that um, as, as a way of, of, um, of, of digital fasting? Uh, I, I've used some apps to help my quiet time with God. There's a, there's a sort of a liturgical app uh, called Praise You Go. I've used it from time to time. It's pretty good. Um, I've got a, the Bible app on my phone that I'll read from time to time. I use Evernote to kind of track and sort of journal. Um, and, and I've actually taken a step away from that um, because what I found is that 
if, if my quiet time with God is, is driven around a device, helpful as it may be, it's not hard to go from reading the Bible, journaling to ESPN real quick, like it's like almost a direct line there, like, oh, and I wonder how the teams are doing, you know, whatever. Um, and so I've actually taken the step to go back and, and start doing that stuff on paper, like with a pen. Uh, it's crazy. <laughs> What's crazy about that is I have really bad handwriting. Like my handwriting's like a third grader. And I and, and even in the last week or so, I've looked, I've asked some people how they hold their pen because I don't do it very well. And you know, when you type all the time, who cares, right? But once I've I'm like, I'm gonna get out of this digital thing when I have quiet time with God, I want to journal. But if I hold the pen like I normally hold the pen, my hand just starts to hurt. So I'm like looking at other people like, how do you hold a pen? Like this is like it's like kindergarten stuff, you know, like how do you hold the pen? I want to relearn this so that um, it's not painful for me to write, you know. And so I, I'm I'm trying to do that because I don't want to get into the digital world all the time. I wanna put that stuff um, down. Understand that companies that produce digital content are designed to make you addicted to it. The CEO of Netflix said that Netflix's chief competitor is sleep. They don't care about you sleeping. That's not what they want. They want you to binge watch. The, the, at Facebook, there are 20 or 30 people who have PhDs from like MIT. Their job is to make you addicted to using their product all the time. I don't care how smart you are, you are not smarter than 20 or 30 people with PhDs who are designed, who are, who are using this stuff to get, to get us addicted. Sean Parker just said it this week about why they designed Facebook. There's articles out there about it. They, they know what they're, they're doing. Um, Andy Crouch, I told you I saw his talk. He wrote a book called The TechWise Family. If you're raising kids in this brave new world, you absolutely should read that book. Get it on paper. It's short. Don't get Kindle version. You're blowing the whole point. Um, <laughs> get it on paper read it. It's, it's, it's an easy read. He's got 10 commandments, 10 commitments for families around technology, and it's really good. And it's not like, oh, stop doing this, and you're terrible. It's more like, hey, what is family for? What is parenting for? What are we trying to do here? And then let's evaluate these things and how they help us. But he says in that book, like one suggestion for digital fasting, he says, no screens, one hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. Now, that's pretty cool. Like, I think that's a good way of of looking at it. Uh, so number one, practice digital fasting. Number two, limit smartphone usage for yourself. Limit it for yourself. Um, and we'll talk about parenting here in a second, but the thing I'll say about that is if you're going to tell your kids that they can't do these things, then you're going to need to look at what you do as well because uh, kids have like a hypocrisy meter, like the off the charts. Like they see that stuff in you so quickly. Limit smartphone usage for yourself. When I was at the Q conference, um, they had... Uh, they had a guy who invented the light phone. Have you heard of the light phone? The light phone is a phone that's about the size of a credit card. And if you look at the front of it, it has the time, like a digital readout of the time, and it has numbers to make phone calls. And that's all it does. It just makes phone calls and receives them. And I saw that, and I'm like, this is brilliant. Who, what wizardry is this? This thing just makes phone calls? Awesome. And I like, I wanted one. It's $200. $200 to get a phone that just makes phone calls, apparently. So I don't have one right now. But um, I was like, this is amazing. It just makes phone calls. And, and they have these really great ads. If you go to their website, they have these really great ads about like how you like go be in nature and actually be there. Like be with your friends and like be present in that thing. Like more presence where you are. Be in the moment. Don't like take a picture. Like eat the meal and don't take a picture of it and post it to Instagram. Just try it. Like Go see the sunset and just like visually soak it in and be with the people you're with and that's like it. And I'm like, this is a great idea. How do, how do we limit 
um, smartphone usage for ourselves. Uh, here's how I've tried. Um, I have removed most internet functionality on my smartphone. So I don't have a web browser. Um, a, a lot of the apps that I would have used, I've just deleted a bunch of them uh, so that I'm not, so that my phone is not all that useful to me. It still has Evernote, I can still text, I can still send an email, but uh, I'm trying to get it less useful so that I look at it less, and it's, it's sort of a constant uh, struggle. In fact, let me recommend an app for this, which is really ironic that I would do this, but there's an app called Moments, and the Moments app, I downloaded it a while ago, I don't have it now, but I, I downloaded it. It tracks every time you look at your phone, and for how long, and what you did with it. And so the first day I had the Moments app installed on my phone, I had looked at my phone 62 times. And I want you to know that is far below average. <laughs> like, I'm like, but it, it freaked me out. Like, what am I doing? Like, why do I? Oh, well, it's my, it's my clock. I get a watch. I need to get a watch. Like, I, why, what is going on? It's like, this is like impulsive thing. And the app, you can install it on every device in your house. And you can set limits, like nobody's on an app, everyone in your house, no one's on a screen past 7 p.m. And if you're on a screen past 7 p.m., it sets off an alarm on all of the apps, uh, all of the devices set off alarm. So this is a way you could draw some lines around it and say, hey, I want, so maybe look at that, it, 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 at least download it to see, before you nerf your phone and get rid of everything off of it, at least download the app once and see what your usage is and, and how you do it. Uh, pretty, pretty interesting. Parents, um, this is going to sound radical, okay? And I don't know, the, the line on radical keeps moving on this stuff. Let me just give you an idea. Let me suggest that you don't get your kids a smartphone, maybe ever. I, I, I'm raising them too, and I know what the pressure is. I know them when they're the last kid that doesn't have a phone, because that's probably my kids at this point, right? Like, I, I understand. And we can disagree on this, and I still think you're a great parent. I'm not going to like, you know, we're not going to, this isn't like a thing, right? But, but just a suggestion, maybe not get your kids a smartphone. Um, and maybe encourage them to engage uh, other things. Now look, parenting's exhausting. I get it. I understand. Um, but there's, there's something countercultural that we could do there that I think we will be, be glad we did. I, I, I spoke on a panel with another dad, and he said, when I gave, he said, my daughter's 16, when we gave her, when she turned 11, we gave her an iPod Touch, and he said, I wish we had never done it. I was like, really, tell me more about that. I emailed him, and he said, um, actually, this is exactly what he said. He said, uh, my wife and I had no idea the grip it would have on our child. Um, it just changes relationships uh, when everyone's into a digital thing. And so just think and pray through that of, of maybe walking a different road there than our culture. When children who barely know the English language, who are like one and a half years old, know enough to scream, my iPad, when you try to take it away from them, um, I think maybe we have a problem. So consider that. Um, consider that as a, as, a, as a way to maybe live out the, this biblical idea of disengaging or, or withdrawing from things. Um, you don't have to get your kids a smartphone. Maybe, like, ever, it's, it's okay. So let me, that's just one journey, one guy on the journey here telling other people on the journey, maybe, maybe this is a road we could walk. And then lastly, let me give you this. Read, rediscover the real non-digital world. Some of you are into things like cooking and gardening and reading books on paper and writing, 
and music, and there's just a lot of great things out there that there always have been in, in history. And, and, and a lot of people, they're like, man, I don't have any time to paint anymore. I wish I did. But I think the reality is you do have time. You've just filled it up with other, like, digital things. Uh, we're using our free times differently, and there's all sorts of study on that kind of stuff. Maybe do that stuff again. Read books again on, on paper and, and discover some things there, because I think these things will actually make our lives richer and deeper. There's a, there's a camp out in California for people. It's for adults. It's a summer camp for adults, and it's designed for people to get unplugged from technology, and it's called Camp Grounded. Great name. And I looked at their website and uh, listened to the way they describe the camp. Listen to what, what they say it's for. Trading your computer, cell phone, email, digital cameras, clock schedules, work jargon, networking events, and conferences for four days of pure, unadulterated, off-the-grid fun. Together, we'll create a community where status updates, job titles, bitcoins, and business models are worth little. And individuality, self-expression, community, friendship, and memories are what matter most. It's a place where singing till the sunrise, handwritten love notes, pranks, sharing our last bites, laying under the stars, dancing barefoot, taking time to reflect, crying because it feels good sometimes, actually laughing out loud, I like that, getting our hands covered in paint, the endless smell of campfires on, campfires on our clothes, holding hands, eye contact, and exploring the great outdoors are valued most. And I read this, and I, my first thought was, and what a bunch of hippies in California. Uh, but my second thought was, actually, it's kind of awesome. Like, sign me up. Like, how much do I have to pay to go do that for four days? The answer is $700 if you want to know. So, but think about that. People are willing to drop $700 to, like, get the phone out of their hands, to, like, do, like, normal real stuff. I'm like, actually, all the things they said on there, you could do them for free. <laughs> they just know you won't, so they'll charge you for it to go do it, right? Like, man, what is going on there? I, I, I like what they're trying to do. They're trying to get us to, to disconnect and, and not be into the digital world all the time because the real world, the real non-digital world, I believe that's where our best relationships happen and that's where we meet God. I have had experiences with God in journaling, in reading poetry, in reading the Bible, in, in reading great books, in being uh, in nature and seeing a mountain view, um, in music. I don't know that I've ever had an experience with God on my phone, um, looking at a screen. There's, there's just better stuff to be had out there in the non-digital world. Um, and this is tough. I know this is tough stuff for us to consider. But we need to consider it because we are being shaped. You're, you're not shaped just by what you believe about all these things. You're going to be shaped by your habits. What are you doing or not doing? And so we need to think about what are our habits around all of this stuff. It'll, it's hard to disengage. It'll be hard to step away. But I believe we'll develop a lot better relationships when we do. Let's pray.